evening this evening, take your Bibles and turn, if you would, with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and your Bibles here this evening. Of course, when we gather for a service like this, a memorial, it is a memorial, and uh, we gather together out of obedience to what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has instructed us to do so that we won't forget the sacrifice that he's made for us, that he made for us one time, one sacrifice for all of us, and uh, not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. And uh, when, we, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we partake um, and we, we're reminded of his suffering, primarily. Uh, of course, the two elements that are part of the Lord's Supper, the bread, um, represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, none of his bones were broken, but his body was beaten unrecognizably so. Um, the grape juice represents the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, of course, the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness for sin without that blood being shed. So it was a necessity. It had to happen. There are also uh, some marks that I find in 1 John that I think are they're marks of Christ. And... Um, they ought to be marks in our lives. They ought to be marks of a believer, in the life of a believer. After all, we would say, we would describe ourselves tonight, most of us would describe ourselves as Christians. Uh, and the word Christian means little Christ. And, uh, and so a Christian is a Christ follower. And so the marks that are, are the characteristics of Christ should then be identifiable in our lives as well. First uh, John is where we'll read in just a few moments, but I want to begin by asking you a question, and the question is is this, and, and I would answer, I would encourage you not to answer out loud. Okay, in a way, I'm setting you up, and I'll tell you that up front. And the question is, are you a Christian? Um, years ago, I can remember preaching you about the difference between a Christian and a believer. And normally when we think of a, a believer, we think of someone who has trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Heaven is their home. They have no fear of death and hell. Um, they are saved. They're born again. We often think the same way about a Christian, but the reality is it's possible to be a believer in Christ and be saved from death and hell, but not follow Christ. Christian is someone who follows Christ and that the marks of Christ or the characteristics of Christ are evident in their lives. It's possible for a person to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and not live like a Christian. And that's, I think, what I, how I can boil that down. Um, so are you a Christian? Now, I'm not asking, are you a believer? I'm not asking if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if heaven is your home. But uh, being a believer and being a Christian are not always synonymous. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, uh, we are told that Jesus' disciples, those who were learning uh, 
at Jesus' feet, those who were learners of Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, in verse number 26, Barnabas and Paul were ministering in the church of Antioch. They were there for upwards to a year, maybe a little over a year. And some unbelievers first looked at Paul and Barnabas, and they identified them. They gave them a name. Unbelievers gave them a name, and they identified them as Christians. Paul and Barnabas reminded the unsaved people of someone that they had heard about, someone who had died on a cross, and, uh, and that person was Jesus Christ. And so the unsaved people looked at Paul and Barnabas, and they called Paul and Barnabas little Christs. It was kind of a name or a term of derision. They weren't complimenting them. It was kind of a term of derision that was given to Paul and Barnabas, Christians. That was the first time it's found in the Bible. Second time is in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, where it says that this, then Agrippa, who was a political leader, said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, to follow Christ. The third time the word Christian is found, it's in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to read that one to you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 15. 1 Peter 4 and verse 15. We'll get to our text in 1 John in just a moment. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 15, it says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. In other words, none of you should go to jail because you've killed somebody. Or as a thief, you shouldn't, you shouldn't suffer because you were breaking the law and stealing. Or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, a little Christ, a Christ follower, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Peter says, you shouldn't, none of you as believers, as followers of Christ, should suffer punishment at the hand of the government because you're breaking laws. You shouldn't suffer because of that. But if you suffer because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, don't, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. Third time the word Christian is found. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul wrote, and he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had suffered the way Peter had written about Paul had been beaten, he had suffered, and Paul was a Christian. He was a Christ follower, and in some ways he had suffered the way Christ had suffered. In some ways Paul had suffered for the same reasons that Christ had suffered. And we gather ourselves on a night like tonight, and uh, we're reminded of Christ's suffering. And uh, most of us don't face persecution in any way. But there are some marks, some characteristics of Christ that ought to be found in our lives. And I want you to look at 1 John with me in chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read, beginning in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse number 5. We'll pray, and then we'll look at these marks. 1 John John 5, verse 1. He says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat... That would be God who begat us. Everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. So he's simply saying if you truly are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you love God and you love those who are born of of him. Verse 2. 
By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome or unbearable. Verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray, and then we'll notice three characteristics in the life of Christ. And as we consider his suffering tonight, um, what took him to the cross to die for our sins, if we would call ourselves Christians, these characteristics ought to be found in our lives as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Uh, Father, we do look at ourselves as Christians, little Christs. And Father, I pray that you, by your word, would convict us and encourage us and strengthen us in our inner man, that we might be found truly to be Christians, not just saved from death and hell, so as by fire, but truly living lives in this earth that for us to live would be for Christ to live through us. Lord, I pray for this because really anything less is, is less than what you desire and less than what you have paid for and purchased with the blood and suffering of your Son. So help us, I pray, and teach us by your Spirit. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, three marks in the, uh, that are marks of a Christian or marks of Christ. Uh, The first mark of a Christian, the first mark of a Christ follower is faith, is faith. You know, when we think about Jesus Christ, we often don't think about his faith. We don't think of that. Uh, The Bible, though, says that he gave his life and he died. He was willing to suffer and be crucified for us in faith. Did you know that? Uh, we'll look at that passage in just a moment. First, though, look at verse number 1, the beginning part of chapter 5. He says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so we know that someone is saved by believing that Jesus is the Christ. Look down to verses 4 and 5. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now he's talking about our faith here, verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? The person that overcomes the world, worldliness, living life like, um, living life like there is no God, living life like we're not going to answer to anybody. The person who overcomes worldliness is the person who lives by faith faith, believing that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for our sins, that we're dead to sin, that our sins have been taken away, he was buried, and that he rose again, and because he rose again, we also too have been lived to, or have been saved to live unto righteousness. It's faith. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. That's the first part of the gospel. Paul reckoned himself to be dead unto sin. Sin was not alive. It didn't hold any serve or any power over him. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul doesn't say that he lived, in, at least in verse, chapter 2 and verse 20 of Galatians, he doesn't talk about his faith in Christ. He talks about Christ's faith. And when the Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross some 2,000 years ago, he went in faith believing that what he was going to do would be accomplished, not just that he would die for the sins of the whole world, not just that he would be buried and take our sins away, not only that he would be raised from the dead to sit on the right hand of the Father victorious someday, uh, today and forever, uh, Jesus Christ also believed that the, his suffering and his sacrifice would obtain something. And what was that? That was you and me. And in a very real way, the Lord Jesus Christ died in faith. He came in faith, believing that he would have the inheritance that his father had promised him. By faith. So the mark of Christ, or characteristic of Christ, is faith. And so it's not, it should not be a surprise to us that you and I, as God's people, are commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I don't mean to get ahead of myself here, but you remember when he was praying by himself, his, his disciples had not been able to stay up with him and continue with him in prayer. He's praying by himself. He's sweating physically, as it were, great drops of blood. Physically, his body is overwhelmed with the contemplation or the reality of the suffering he's going to have to endure. Becoming sin, he who knew no sin, becoming sin for the entire world, taking the sin of the entire world upon his body. And his physical body was beginning to break down. And you remember how he prayed, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. A mark of a Christian is faith. Faith can be defined as taking God at his word. Faith is defined for us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane and he were praying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. At that moment, though he was 100% man and 100% God, in that moment, it was, it was not the, the salvation of your soul and mine in that moment for him. It had yet to take place. He had not suffered yet. Our salvation had not taken place. And being a man, he operated in faith. He operated in faith. And if you and I are going to be followers of Christ, we are going to have to operate in faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, seek him when it's not, it's not in style to seek him. Seek him when your flesh doesn't feel like seeking him. And how many of you know that your flesh never feels like seeking him? Seek him when others around you stop seeking him. 
Faith. The mark of a Christian is faith. Look again at verse number one, the beginning part. He says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A person cannot be born again. They cannot be a child of God and certainly cannot be a Christian without first believing in Jesus. John 8 and verse 24 says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, Christ said, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't believe, Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am God, you're going to die in your sins. Look with me to Matthew. Would you, Matthew chapter 9. I want to give an illustration for faith. Matthew chapter 9. The Bible is full of illustrations of faith. I hope you regularly take time to read the Word of God. I hope you do. And maybe you're not the best of readers in the world. Some of us are better readers than others. Uh, some of us, if you're like me, you, have, you, you read and then you lose your train of thought and you have to go back and read it again. And then you didn't quite catch it, and you go back and read it a third time. And about that time, you're starting to catch on to what's going on. Some of you are, you're, you know, I've watched some of you read, and I, I'm telling you, your eyes are already on that page, and your finger's going down this page, or your finger's over here, your eye's over there, and you're reading like two pages at once. Some of you are really good at reading like that, really good at comprehending. But, you know, whether you're a, a, a great reader, you know, you got your master's degree in speed reading, or whether you're like me, and it's more work for you, I hope that you take time to read the Word of God. Because as you read it, and especially in the Gospels, and even in, in, certainly in the Old Testament as well, you'll find throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, you will find people who walked by faith, Christ-likeness, and people who, who chose not to believe. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. I'm going to read down through verse 26. It's a narrative, so I'll try to read with some expression. Verse verse 18. It says, While he spake these things unto them, Jesus speaking, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. What do you think of that? My daughter is dead. But you come, lay your hand upon my daughter, and she'll live again. Would you say that's faith? Yeah, I'd say that's faith. (laughs) Some of us would have given him an invitation to the funeral, perhaps. I don't know how many of us would have sought him like this. Verse 19, And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years. So here we have an unsaved woman who interrupts him. She has a serious health issue. She's had it for 12 years. Came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be be whole. Is that faith or unbelief? Faith. Verse 22. But uh, But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And that word whole is our... uh, we also translate that word saved. It's the Greek word sozo, same word we translate saved. Thy faith has saved you, is really what he's saying here. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels, those are the flute, flute players, 
And the people making noise, and it was common in those days, there had been a lot of singing, mournful singing, there would have been some wailing, there would have been some, a lot of commotion going on. This was not like one of our funerals, okay, where it's fairly quiet for the most part. Verse 24, he said unto them, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Is that faith? No. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the maid arose, I could say, because of the insistent faith of her father, and the fame thereof, or the fame hereof, went abroad into all the land. Look back, if you would, to our text, 1 John. 1 John. Do you believe that Jesus Christ saves? Tonight, as the elements are passed out and you receive the bread, and you put that bread to your mouth and you, and you chew it up and you swallow it, and then the grape juice will come out and you take that and you drink it. Um, really, when we partake of the, the elements, it's a testimony publicly that, and individually, what you're saying by partaking is, I am saved from death and hell because of Christ's body being, having been broken for me and his blood being shed for me. It's a public testimony to everybody around us that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died in our place on that cross, and that he rose again the third day. Look at verses 4 and 5. Because not only is, is believing in Jesus or faith necessary to be born again and be saved, but faith is also necessary to overcome the world. Look again at verses 4 and 5. He says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So really what he's saying is without having been born of God, no one who's not born of... Nobody who, who hasn't been born of God can overcome the world. And the only way a person can overcome the world is by taking God at his word and believing that Jesus Christ is able to save you, not just from death and hell, but from besetting sin, from worry, from fear, from anxiety, from lust of our flesh, and on and on the list can go. The very same kind of faith of that man who came to Jesus and said, My daughter is dead, but would you come come and make her alive again? Or the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, a serious health problem, incurable from her perspective. And in her mind, if I can just touch the hem of the garments of the master, this teacher, the one they call Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, he can heal me. That's faith. And so on a night like tonight, we're reminded of Christ dying and suffering for us. We must not forget a character trait of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was faith. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to operate in faith. Sometimes we as believers... We reminisce of the day we were saved when we, like the woman with the issue of blood, or like that father whose daughter was dead, we, dead in our sins and trespasses, believed in faith that Jesus Christ was God and that he could save us, and we reminisce of how he did save us in response to our faith 
many years ago. And I want to encourage a believer, you and I need to continue to live in faith every single day going forward. We must not just look to the past and say, yep, I believed upon the Lord and he saved my soul, and that was 30 years ago, but I've been floundering along ever since. We, shouldn't, we must not have that perspective. Look at verse 5. For who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? The only way a person is going to overcome the worldly, uh, this world, worldliness, this society, the pull of, of ungodliness, is by believing in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way. There is no other way. You know, I won't go through it, but we were studying the armor of God this morning, right? And uh, we got through half of, half of the equipment. But you know, it's faith to say no to the flesh and to say yes to the Spirit. That's faith. That's an act of faith. Flesh, you don't satisfy me. I know who you are. I know where you're taking me based upon what the Bible says. I'm going to say no to you. That's an act of faith. And I'm going to say yes to the Spirit of God and the Word of God who lives within me that's leading me in, a, in the opposite direction of my flesh. That's an act of faith. That's an act of faith. It's Christ-like to do that. It's Christ-like to do that. Um, mark number two uh, is, is love. Is love. Faith is a mark of Christ-likeness, and love is a mark of Christ-likeness. Look at verse number 1 again, the latter part of chapter 5. Verse 1, the latter part. It says, And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So he says, And every one of you that loves God, loves those Loves the children of God, is what he's saying. Verse 2, the beginning part. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So a person who is truly born of God loves God and the children of God. You know, John, had a, he calls the believers that he's writing to dearly beloved. Um, he had a, a, an, a wonderful affection for the, the people that he had led to the Lord, and had been um, teaching the word of God to. And he had a fervent desire that these believers would have a sacrificial love for one another. And, and he had a fervent desire that these believers would have a sacrificial love for God himself. And you know that a Christian, a Christ follower, has this kind of love. Christ. Uh, we, uh, I, we, as we, if we were to think about Christ and his love for the church, we know that he loves the church. We know that he gave himself for us. Um, how he loves you and me. A Christ follower, should, should we love one another any less than Christ loves us? If I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm going to love what he loves and who he loves, should not I have a love for you? And what kind of a love does he have for you? What kind of a love does he have for me? It's a sacrificial love. Now, I'm not sure how any other way I can spin that word sacrifice or sacrificial. I'm not sure how I can minimize that word. 
Trinity Baptist Church, we ought to be a group of people who love one another to the point of sacrificing for one another. We ought to put one another before, we, before ourselves. And you know, I don't have a program for that. I don't have any organization for that. But I know that Christ gave us his spirit who lives within us, who, if we will listen to him, is continually leading us to sacrifice and love one another. There is no program that can replace that. And as your pastor, until the day I die or I'm no longer here, I will exhort you to love one another. And to love God more than I do anything else. Love one another. It's a mark of Christ. Sacrifice for one another. Pray for opportunities. Look for opportunities. It's so much easier. It is easier if we could just develop some, you know, have a program here and a program here. And, uh, you know, okay, you know, in some ways it's easier uh, and I, I'm careful, I don't, want to, I, I don't want to downgrade programs that we might have or something like that, but, so I'm careful, I'm not going to identify, I'm not going to name any, okay, uh, because I think it'll be distracting, but it's easier to have a, a, a list of things to check off, okay, I'm in, I'm in this ministry, I was there, check, I was semi-happy, check, um, um, I gave X amount of dollars, check, um, you know, it's easier to go down a list and check, do a checklist thing. It is harder for us to yield our lives to God the way Christ yielded his life and said, I'll go. I'll give my life. Hebrews talks about that. It records a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. And Jesus tells his Father, he says, A body hast thou prepared me to do your will. The sacrifices throughout the Old Testament aren't enough, Jesus said. I know what needs to be done, and I'm willing to go and die for the sins of the whole world. Now, he's not asking you and for me to die for the sins of the whole world, but he is asking you and me to love one another sacrificially, and that's what this passage is talking about. And over and over again in First John, John is saying, love one another. And in the Gospel of John, he's saying, love one another, sacrifice for one another. In fact, he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, my learners, learners of me, is what he was saying. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Love one another. So tonight, when the elements come along, Be reminded of the love of God. And ask yourself, am I a Christian? Am I a follower of my Savior in his love? There's a third mark, and that's in verse 2, the latter part, and then verse 3, and that's the mark of obedience. The mark of obedience. Within Christ's sacrifice, I see that Christ had faith, I see his love, and I see his obedience. Look at verse number 2, the latter part, and I'll read down through verse 3. In verse 2, the latter part, in fact, I'll read the whole thing, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
How do you know if you're loving one another? How, how do we know if we're loving one another the way we ought? Well, by whether or not we love God sacrificially. Is it a, oh, yeah, we've got to go. Got to be there. You know, we gotta, we're part of the, we made a commitment to this ministry, to that program. <sighs> Better go. Sacrificial love. Willingly giving of ourselves to God. And then he says, and keep his commandments. And then look at verse 3. He said, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is the love of God. If we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, they're not burdensome. You know that the commandments of God, they're not suggestions. They're not suggestions. We, we, ha- we do have liberty in Christ, Christ to, to, to bring glory and honor to the Lord, to know the truth, and for the truth to set us free from the shackles of sin and the bondage to the flesh. We do have liberty in Christ to serve the Lord and please him. It's incredible liberty. Liberty that we never had before we were saved. We didn't have that opportunity. And God gives us commandments. And they're meant to be obeyed. And he tells us, in, in a sense, I would even say it this way, his commandments are shortcuts to his will, to doing his will. You say, Lord, I want to know what your will is. Then do what you know. You say, yeah, but I, don't, I, I already know this, but I want to know that. Well, do what you know, and he'll reveal this, the other part some, in his time as well. The mark of, a, of Christ, one of the marks of Christ is obedience. Not my will, but thine be done. What, what do we see there? Jesus was submitting to the will of his Father. He was obeying his Father. And it wasn't easy, was it? It was so vexing to him, that situation. And I've talked to you about this in the past, that scientifically, his body was struggling whether or not to shut down. It was overwhelmed with turmoil and hardship. Sweating, as it were, the Bible says, great drops of blood through his skin. You ever been in a stressful situation, right? We all have, to a different degree. Some of, some of us, we've been in stressful situations where, you know, you don't want to get out of bed. Or you just want to go to bed. Or you can't sleep when you're in bed. Right? Or you cry. Or you're angry. You're vexed. We've all dealt with stressful situations. I don't know that any of us have dealt with anything as stressful as what Jesus Christ endured in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet he obeyed the will of his Father. So as the elements are passed, remember the obedience of Christ. The obedience that is a Christian. It's not optional to be obedient. John emphasized obedience throughout the entire book. Obedience is essential to having fellowship with God, to knowing Jesus Christ, to loving God. Obedience is essential. That's what he says in verse 5. To to abiding in Christ, you have to obey if you're going to abide in Christ. To being a child of God, you have to obey. To having our prayers answered, obedience is all essential. 
Uh, Obedience is also essential to loving the children of God. Look again at verse 2. For by this we know that that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You know that it's impossible to love others while disobeying God. We, we cited a passage not just this, a couple days ago in our family. We talked about how the Bible says that a person who lies to someone else actually hates that person, the Bible says. You know, it's impossible for you and for me as the children of God to love one another. And I think this congregation has a, a genuine love for one another. I really believe that. And I love it, and I hope it grows. It's a mark of Christ-likeness. But I want you to know something. It's really impossible. We, we might say, you know, we, we have a close-knit group at Trinity. We love one another. That's a great thing, and I hope that's something we shoot for. But you know what? If you and I as individuals are not obeying the commands of Scripture, our love for one another will never be Christ-like. It'll never be what it ought to be or what it could be. If we will obey God's commandments, our love for one another will be Christ-like sacrificial love. It really will. You know, sacrificial love is selfless. And when you and I obey the, work, the commandments of God, what are we doing? We're denying self. We're saying yes to God. So obedience produces Christ-like love toward other believers. Also, it talks about loving God himself. The beginning part of verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is the love of God if we keep his commandments. So John states that the obedience to God is essential to loving the children of God and to loving God himself. But I have to ask the question, is obeying God a burden? Do you ever get tired of obeying? I love it when I, tell my, I ask my children to do something. The other day, we, how many wheelbarrows did we fill, Ian? Do you remember? Full of topsoil. Ian had a shovel, and Will had a shovel, and then the girls came in. One of them was working a broom, and the other one grabbed a shovel. There were shovels everywhere. We're, all, we're lucky to be alive, really, after all the shovel wielding we had going on. We had a lot. We had a lot. We, we moved like 10 yards of topsoil. So it was a lot of wheelbarrow loads. And uh, it's, uh, it was a, it's a lot of fun wheelbarrowing and shoveling with our children. But it's always a joy when I say, hey, Kids, can you do this? And the response is positive. Yeah, I'll do that. Dad, can I help? It's almost like, show me your will, Dad. I want to know your will. I want to do your will. It's not always like that, though, is it? Not always like that. You know how honorable it is to God when we obey him? But it's not always easy to obey him. But the point of this passage is, the end of verse number 3 says, his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. You know, the sin of this world and the consequences of the sin of this world are grievous. They're burdensome. They destroy marriages. They destroy children. They destroy character and and personality. They destroy churches. They destroy business. The sin of this world and the consequences of sin in this world is absolutely destructive. It is burdensome. But the commandments of God are never burdensome, the Bible says. You and I don't always feel like doing it because we have a godless, wicked flesh that kind of goes, hmm. But the reality is, the commandments of God are never burdensome. Hard sometimes, yes. 
but never burdensome. And we ought to look at them, these characteristics of Christ, and we ought to examine our own hearts as we partake of the Lord's table. We ought to say, I love Christ because he died for me. I love Christ because of his faith. I love Christ because of his love. I love him because of of his obedience. And because of those things, I have salvation. I'm a follower of Christ, so the question is, am I really following him? Am I really following him in faith? Am I really following him in love? Am I really following him in obedience? Take your hymnals. Let's all turn to, let's see here. Is it hymn number 280? Hymn number 280. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Let's all stand together, hymn number 280, and we'll sing this hymn before we partake of the Lord's Supper here this evening. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm I? Was it for crimes? That I have done He groaned upon the tree Amazing pity, grace unknown And love beyond deep Can I ask the men if they'd come on the third? Well might the sun in darkness hide And shot his glories in When Christ the mighty maker died For man the creature But drops of grief But drops of grief can ne'er repay The debt of love I owe Here, Lord, I give myself away Tis all that I can do Thank you. You may be seated.